This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Granite Elite Limited. Granite Elite are an Aberdeen-based company delivering highly skilled security services and soft facilities management across the northeast of Scotland. Granite Elite bring experience, credibility and an open and clear approach to their industry that allows them to react to their customers' needs and requirements to deliver an elite service. To find out more, please visit granite-elite.co.uk. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 13 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, and joining me this week is Gavin Baxter as Graham Steele takes a well-earned breather. Gavin, how's it going? Yeah, not bad. I mean, let's say, uh, full disclosure, neither of us are feeling brilliant right now as we record this, so are we heroes for recording it still? Probably not, but we're putting in a better shift than Chidi and Quali did against Motherwell in that semi-final. Yeah, let's just say that our level of commitment to getting this show out is second to none. I've spent pretty much the entire day today spewing and shitting my ringer, so it's a privilege for me to be here. And it's a reasonably sedate episode this week, as International Week means that we've no first-team match to review, thank God. So instead, we'll take a look to the Don's crucial trip to Dundee on Saturday evening, and we'll cast our eyes over the other news to be emanating out of the tawdry this week. We'll take a quick look at the young team following their departure from the SPFL Trust Trophy at the hands of Hamilton Ackes, and review our young charges out on their respective loans, before wrapping up part one with a review of the women's team and their thumping 8-0 defeat to Rangers in SWPL1. And for the second half, we're delighted to bring you a truly exclusive interview with former Don Tommy Hoban. But before we get to that, First things first, the Dons travel to Dundee for the first time this season, this coming Saturday, 16th of October in the SPFL Premiership. And what is, it's fair to say, a bit of a make-or-break game in the eyes of many in the support, Gav. It's um, certainly a game that if we lose, the pressure just increases, you would dare say, tenfold. We've had a little look at Dundee, um, so we'll give you the overview, as we have with all of our opponents this year. So they were promoted via the playoffs. Um, ultimately beating Kilmarnock 4-2 on aggregate, uh, which then led to Kyle Lafferty deciding to demand four times the wages he was getting from Kilmarnock. But, you know, <laughs> such is his uh, prerogative, shall we say. Uh, but yeah, Dundee came through that. Um, you know, having finished second in the championship, you know, clear behind hearts, but still a decent season, all, all being said. And in terms of squad, they've kind of just kept faith with the guys that got them promoted. You know, when it comes to incomings, you know, Paul McMillan made his loan deal uh, permanent and a couple of notable guys you know Killian Sheridan has come back from his what can only be described as nomadic career and uh, yeah Lee Griffiths but you know everyone knows about him and everyone's got their opinion likely to be available I'd imagine as his SFA hearing for what was his term removing a flare from the pitch an accident and accidentally hitting it into Rosehead uh, that's been moved to Thursday the 14th of October so I don't know how that will affect any potential punishment but I'd imagine that could mean he'll be available if he's fit um, and then in outgoings you know Jack Hamilton good move Dundee Jordan Forster <laughs> um, Kelly Hartson Osmond so so yeah nothing major um, but 
as has been a kind of recurring theme with Aberdeen opponents, they're looking for their first win of the season. No wins in the league, three draws with Sitminen, Hibbs, and Livingston, and then five defeats, scoring five goals, conceding 16. So it's not been a great start to uh, life in the top flight for James McPick and his men. And on top of that, they were also knocked out of the cup by the uh, Scottish football's cup specialist, St. Johnston. Well, yeah, I mean, Gav, you pretty much summed it up right there. If Lee Griffiths is fit, I mean, I don't think you'll have to find very long odds on him scoring the winner, will you? Oh, no, not at all. Um, set up by Charlie Adam via Jason Cummings. You know, all the all the good guys that Dundee have got on their team. I mean, I'm kind of looking forward to Saturday. Um, obviously, we're going six o'clock kickoff in Dundee. It's going to be, one would imagine, a fairly boozy travelling support. But that ultimately could mean if the result doesn't go the way that we all hope it will, things could get uh, a little bit ugly, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you say, it's, it's all the um, it's all the ingredients for, uh, you know, it's, it's a short enough journey. There'll be heavy numbers there. And uh, if things don't go the way we hope, it can become, yeah, certainly a very, um, what's the term, combustible atmosphere. Um, you can sense the frustration in the fan base, you know, before the international break and losing to bottom place, that's that's not going to make that any easier for the uh, for the management. No, absolutely not. And um, I guess the flip side to that is it, it could be a game that could potentially transform the season as well if we go out there and get a decent result. You know, if there's a bit of a feel-good factor from a big support, you know, getting behind the team, if the team put on a performance, it actually probably would buy the manager a little bit of time, you would imagine. Yeah, make no mistake, it's a massive game, as we talked about. If we if we lose this, and there's every chance that Ross County could win against St. Minnan, and suddenly we're two points off the bottom of the league. Um, but likewise, as you say, it's international break. Um, most of the squad have been in Aberdeen, I assume, on the training ground, working hard. And so it's time for the manager to have and maybe reinforce some ideas and get some positivity back in the squad. And like I say, again, as I say that, it could be a combustible atmosphere. It could also be a great atmosphere if we uh, go out in there putting a really good performance. And you're right. I think the interesting thing there about the... Um what we just touched on obviously international week would mean that hopefully we'd be able to kind of get some time on the training ground and all that kind of good stuff to 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 work on some ideas and to get things you know try and get things sorted out but then you follow that up with the fact that there was a a side that that went down to our broth friday or saturday got beat 3-1 by our broth and it's a side that you know you'd expect a lot better out of um the rumored lineup and i sense checked this with somebody in the know was Gary Woods and goal, um, Hancock, David Bates, Declan Gallagher, Dean Campbell, Dylan McGeech, Teddy Jenks, Matty Longstaff, Johnny Hayes, Jet, and Austin Samuels. It's not a truly reserve lineup we've got there. You know that, that's all first team players, and to to go down to our broth for a friendly match or or at Cormac Park, I'm not entirely sure where the game actually was held, and be defeated three one. I mean the manager is going to be. Hugely disappointed with that, I imagine, because these are guys who'd be expecting to be trying to 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 stake a uh, to stake a claim to get into the the starting lineup. Yeah, well, I mean, like you say, it's um, it's certainly first team, with the exception maybe of um, Hancock. There, it's all guys that've been around the first team, and you'd imagine they're the guys that, in theory, they're the ones that are knocking on the manager's door saying, "Why am I not playing?" Then they get their chance, and it's a lot of the same names, I guess, that have been playing that played Wraith Rovers, and you know, maybe that's a reason why Stephen Glass is perhaps lost faith with his um with his quick you know changes and you know strong strong management in terms of just you know like if if such and such is not playing well then okay i've got 
option X here. Um, so yeah, that's a pretty that's a pretty damning state of affairs on those guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, what are you what are you expecting? What are you looking for on on Saturday night? Uh, truthfully, I mean, I'm going to speak for Graham Steele in a little bit here, but I just want to win first and foremost. Um, you would like to think we can go into this game with maybe not confidence as such, but a belief that we can win. Um, against what has been so far a pretty poor Dundee team in the SPL, um, and yeah, if, if we don't if we don't have that and we get turned over, it's going to be really worrying given the given the run of fixtures that go after that. Yeah, um, improvement, most of all improvement um, in all areas of the pitch, um, least of all the defence and the attack <laughs> and the midfield and the midfield and and in, uh, and in goals. goals. Yeah, I mean, do you expect to see much of a, a changed lineup from the side that last played against Celtic? As far as I'm aware, everyone's fit. There's not been any issues in terms of anyone getting injured at training or, I mean, what, Niall McGinn and Lewis Ferguson would be the two that have been away? Correct, yeah. Because yeah, Calvin Ramsey um, was pulled out or pulled out, I assume, just to either it was an injury or they just realised that him going away on an astrology was probably not good for him physically. You know, I would say... I could see going three at the back, but then with what you've just told me about <laughs> the performance against our growth and the result, I assume that, you know, I mean, I assume this was like a closed doors game. So we don't absolutely know. Maybe our growth scored just three absolute worldies, but more realistically, you can imagine there's probably some, been some poor defending. And so whether that will uh, put Declan Gallagher further down there or further back in the manager's thoughts, I'm not sure. Um, it's really hard to predict, isn't it? Yeah. Hopefully Hedges is available. Not sure if he is. Don't really, not really been any comment of what actually kept him out of the uh, the Celtic game. So no. So hopefully there's nothing sinister there. Um, he can come back in. Yeah, I I would like to see something different. I would like to see three at the back. I think we talked about that. It does feel like that's where our strength, as far as a defensive team, comes in and allows for maybe perhaps less of a workload on Calvin Ramsey and Jack Jack McKenzie. Yeah, and yeah, like you say it. Like we've said, maybe it allows someone to get closer to um to Ramirez up top. Hopefully Marley Watkins can be available. Watkins is an interesting one because I think when he was injured, Glass indicated that they were hoping he'd be back after the international break. So fingers crossed he is available for that one. Because you're right, I want to see somebody up top alongside Ramirez. Um it's becoming more and more plain as the weeks go by that Ramirez is not a he's not alone striker by any stretch of the imagination so we definitely need to try and work on getting somebody close with him whether that's Watkins or whether that's like Samuels or whether it's a Hedges or even even Jet I mean Graham's not here today so I can kind of say it um but yeah I mean it's going to be interesting to see how we do decide to line up it's, it's such a massive game um and it's a bit of a double-edged sword as well for them it's it's one that we can't afford to lose but we can't really afford to go gung-ho and go all out all guns blazing for the for the victory either on the on the fear of it being caught. Like I say, you just you like to think we're just gonna have belief that whatever we have is gonna be too much for Dundee. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Stephen Glass will know the pressure he's under, and he'll know the the consequences. Perhaps not in terms of his actual job, but in terms of his perception amongst the support. If we go, like you say, if we go with a maybe more defensive setup and we get you know overwhelmed, then people are gonna have a go there. If we go and have a go on the front foot and we get caught on the brick time and time again, then the naivety suggestion will be put forward once more. Just got to be, you know, well-drilled, well-prepared, and just believe in what we do. It should be enough to beat Dundee. If it's not, then we have some some real soul-searching to do. Absolutely. Completely agree. Predictions? 
for the first time in a wee while, I think I'm going to predict an Aberdeen victory. I will say it's going to be 2-0. And that will come through... We're going to get a goal from a set-piece. Ramirez. And we'll get one from Ross McCrory. We get two, we'll get two goals from set-pieces. Because that's the only way we score now. So I'm going to go 3-1 Aberdeen. I'm going to go optimistic, but there's no way we keep a clean sheet. I'm going to say Ramirez, Samuels, and... Lewis Ferguson. There we go. Oh, speaking of which, actually, speaking of, Jink Joe Lewis comes back in. No. Sticks with Woods. Yeah, I'd, I wouldn't say Woods did anything wrong. I don't think that was done as a sort of like wake-up call or anything like that. I think that will be a, a decision that he'll stick with until, you know, Gary Woods either makes X number of mistakes or we get to January and we look for someone perhaps with a longer-term view. But um, yeah, I think he'll stick with Woods. Well, you kind of touched on it earlier. We haven't seen anything will happen at our both game. You don't know. He may be letting three howlers against our both, and he's going to be bombed out of the team. But we'll wait and see. But there we go. Let's move on. So moving on, other news from Pathology this week. A quiet week on the whole, given it was International Week, um, punctuated only by a an odd tweet, I think I'm going to describe it as, by, by Dave Cormack that came out on early on Friday evening. And whilst I think the intention was meant to be unifying and was designed to try and get everyone behind the team it's fair to say that it's probably had a somewhat markedly different response online and the main thing I took away from it was the idea that you know he Rob Wick so Yogovi simply didn't want to say anything that was going to be taken out of context I mean what are your thoughts on this one I think like a lot of people I think yeah we all appreciate the the sentiment that probably went into that tweet but if I look at Dave Cormack's kind of social media activity as of late, it's been pretty few and far between. So to then come out with that, which kind of, it's sort of read to me as in a way of telling people, you know, that there's no reason to be concerned about anything right now. And I guess this is going to come back again, time and time again. And I think Graham mentioned this last week, well, when we talked about the Celtic game. And the issue is that because the board were so ambiguous in terms of the goals for this season, you can't turn around and say that we're like really hitting any marks right now. I know he's saying we're eight league games in, but also in real terms, we're nine games at a win. We went out of Europe and the League Cup, let's be fair, with a whimper. And we're sitting here in a situation where the teams in and around us are called Dundee and Ross County. I'll go back to the very beginning of the season when we started this show we talked to Graham Hunter and Graham made the good point that you know people have talked about this that Scottish football it can be judgmental of people who are come who are perceived to come from the outside now I think I heard or read some of Stephen Glass after the Celtic game mentioned that he thinks that he and Ange Postacoglu come in for more criticism because their coaching experience comes from out with Scotland or the UK and you know what there's there's an element that that's right I will dare say on Stephen Glass, the reason you're mainly under pressure is, as I've just mentioned, it's nine games without a win. And we're out of, you know, one of the only two chances we have to win a trophy. And I think no one will back us to go on, on a run to win the Scottish Cup right now. But no, he's there's an element of truth there. And as Graham Hunter said, Stephen Glass needs all the backing in the world to be successful. And that includes incredibly vocal support from the people at the top. And I think Dave Cormack actually has has had a duty to to stand by his man rather than just kind of, you know, leave him to the wolves, so to speak. If he just comes out and says, listen, 
things are, as far as we're concerned, things are on track. We see progress in terms of what our aims are. People will still probably not be happy with it, but they'll have in their mind for sure that, yeah, Stephen Glass is the man. He's got the backing of the board. And then, so then, yeah, just put a tweet of that. I, it kind of read to me like a vote of confidence. Yeah, I thought there was a little bit of that. I mean, I think I think the tweet actually comes around as a, as a direct result of people saying he's disappeared again when things are not going well. Like, and this is absolutely something you can definitely level at, at Dave Cormack is that when things are going well, he's more than happy to be out and about, you know, even inter, uh, interrupting halftime on Red TV, I think it was in a heckin' game, stuff like that. But then when things don't go so well, he tends to disappear again. And I can understand why people get frustrated with that because for me, and I know that people are saying, well, we're all, we were all really keen to see a chairman who was more open and transparent with the fan base. Absolutely, of course we are, but that is a double-edged sword. You can't just decide to be open and transparent when things are going well and then just shut up shop when things are not going well. You kind of have to do all or nothing. Yeah, no, completely agree. Um, and that's that's where I come back to it. I mean, people get sick of us making this analogy or comparison time and time again, but I think of when Norwich won the Premiership, the director of football, Stuart Weber, was unequivocal throughout the entire season. There was never any chance of them, the manager getting the sack. And I think that's, you know, an important message that, you know, gives confidence not only to the manager, but also maybe confidence is the right word, but it gives, you know, it assures everyone of the situation within the club. It makes people think there's a plan, doesn't yeah. it? And it makes people think, right, I maybe don't agree with it or I maybe don't necessarily see it myself if the people who are ne- who are in charge of things can see something and they're okay with it. Then I think it maybe at least, I don't know, it, it probably gives some level of comfort to people somewhere that things are on track as they may or may not be. I just thought it was an odd one. I just thought it was a bit, I don't know. My issue's always just been, you can't be out there front and centre on social media where, the, where you want the support to step up, i.e. buy your season tickets or where things are going well and then when things are not going well, just kind of disappear. And I think to say stuff like we don't want things to be taken out of context, for me, is a bit of a cop-out because I'm always like, if you communicate your message properly, nothing will be taken out of context. Well, if you speak in a very matter-of-fact way, you know, tone is always an issue on social media, but if you speak you know, very directly, as you say, there's no reason why anything should be taken out of context. So, yeah, it seems like a very strange, um, lack of a better term, excuse for their absence as of late. Agreed. Anyway, let's move on. So for the women, a chastening day for Emma Hunter and Gavin B's side as they failed to an 8-0 defeat at the hands of Rangers in the SWPL1. Two changes to the starting lineup from last week's 3-2 defeat to Hearts with Francesca Ogilvie failing to recover from the head knock she suffered late on last week. And Natasha Bruce came at the starting lineup replacing Bailey Collins. And the Dons got off to the worst possible start. McCoy grabbing an opening goal just after the first minute of play had ticked over. And Rangers doubled their lead 11 minutes later through Arnott. A third following on 23 minutes with McCoy scoring her second before Aberdeen's Louise Brown was forced from the pitch by a head knock to be replaced by Maya Christie. And the hosts made it four on 36 minutes to a fine finish from Kirsten Riley. And Rangers grabbed a fifth just on halftime with Cornet sliding into the net. And just as the Dons first half started poorly, the second was no different. Arnott scoring directly from our goal kick a matter of minutes into the half, and this was then compounded as McCoy grabbed her hat-trick. The Dons managed to steady the ship for a period with Anna Blanchard replacing Gail Gilmore on goals and Bailey Collins, Johan Fraser and Hannah Innes all entering the field of play, but it was Rangers with the last word, Ross following up on a save from Blanchard to bring up the eighth and final goal of the game. A difficult one for the team to take, 
but one that guess needs to be put into context with Rangers being a fully professional outfit and Aberdeen still missing a number of key personnel and Bailey Hutchison, Captain Kelly Forrest, Amy Strath, Lauren Gordon and Francesca Ogilvie. But the task for Emma Hunter and Gambith has not made any easier as next up is a trip to Edinburgh to face Hibs. For the young team, no game for the under-18s this week, although the Dons Colt side were knocked out of the SPFL Trust Trophy with a 2-0 defeat to championship side Hamilton Academicals. The Dons side cobbled together by Byron Robson with only a couple of days' work. Robson able to call on the services of Dean Campbell and Jack Gurr from the first team setup, but robbed of Kieran Nguyenya and Ryan Duncan through injury. The likes of Michael Ruth, Tom Ritchie, Kevin Hanratty, Jack McIver, Tyler McKaita, and Jack Milne all returning for the Dons from their respective loans for this one. And the young Dons started the game brightly in a 3-4-1-2 lineup and were unlucky not to be in the lead through Jack Gurr and Kevin Hanratty, who linked up well down the right-hand flank. But the game turned on its head on 31 minutes. Dean Campbell on the receiving end of a controversial red card, having tugged back Aki's Ronan Hughes, 35 yards from goal, with defensive cover coming across. A slightly odd decision from the man in black to deem the foul as one that denied a clear goal-scoring opportunity. And Aki's took the lead on 37 minutes. A ball played down the left, and McGowan cut inside and fired a fine shot from 18 yards past Ritchie. And after the interval, the Dons settled into having to defend deeply with little possession, and Aki's grabbed their killer second on 66 minutes. Kyle Monroe curling a fine left-footed effort past Ritchie to settle the tie. Jack Gurr forcing the pitch with injury on 72 minutes as the game petered out, and it'll be Aki's who move on to face Callum Hendry's Kilmarnock in the quarterfinals. All in all, an excellent performance though by a youthful Don side against an experienced and battle-hardened Aki's outfit. And moving on to Lone Watch. A lack of lower league fixtures this week means this one's pretty limited as well. Kevin Henratty and Tyler McKaita both returned and started for, for Martin United in their Highland League fixture at Lossy Mouth. Henratty scoring on 15 minutes as the sides fought out a Desmond. And Huntley with Tom Ritchie and Jack McIver in the starting lineup travelled to Glebe Park to face a Brecon City side with Jack Milne in the starting lineup. And it was Milne who was the happier man as Brecon ran out 1 0 winners with Milne picking up another man of the match award. City's goal coming after Ritchie saved the penalty kick but the rebound was knocked in. And finally, no game for Cliftonville this week, but Luke Turner celebrated his fine form with a call-up to the Republic of Ireland's under-21 squad for their visit to Montenegro for their European Championship qualifier on Tuesday evening. And so that wraps up a truncated part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for our exclusive interview with Tommy Hoban, where he discusses all manner of topics, including his love for Aberdeen and the Shire, the mental side of injury, and he gives us his insights into working under Stephen Glass. And to play out the first half, we're delighted to bring you music from Aberdeen local CS Buchan with his track, In My Garden. Follow Charlie on Twitter at Fitlike Records. And here is In My Garden by CS Buchan.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Granite Elite Limited. Granite Elite provide highly skilled security services and soft facilities management across the northeast of Scotland, ensuring that they comply with all industry standards to ensure that your staff, customers, buildings and assets are safe. Granite Elite make sure they listen to their customers to understand their needs and to make sure these requirements are fully covered to deliver a truly elite service. To find out more, please visit www.granite-elite.co.uk Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. We're delighted to continue our series of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. And joining us this week is a man who made 53 appearances for Aberdeen over two spells, scoring three goals in that time. It's Tommy Hoban. Tommy Hoban, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How are you doing? All good. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here. Good to um, yeah have a chat with you guys, see what you got to say. <laughs> More importantly, we've got to see what you've got to say. What I've got to say, yeah. Well, listen, Tommy, obviously, we're delighted you could join us today to talk to us about um, your career, specifically, obviously, your time with Aberdeen and obviously your kind of recent decision to uh, to retire from the game. But let's go back to the start. That's where all, all good stories begin, isn't it? So you grew up in London and you grew up as a Chelsea fan as a boy. Yeah, so um, I guess that's where the yeah the original sort of love for, for football began. Uh, my dad's a Chelsea fan, so... Like like most sons, you got no choice <laughs> who, who you have to support. But um, yeah, I guess I became a Chelsea fan at a good time, really, just when things started to get good for Chelsea. So so yeah, I was um, grew up uh, sort of northeastish of of London. I don't know if you guys know London too well. A place called uh, Woodford, and um, yeah, started playing for my sort of local seven aside team. My dad was actually the um, the coach, and yeah, that's where it, it all began for me. Hey, who's your favourite Chelsea player when you're growing up? Oh, John Terry. Right? You know, centre back, always going to be John Terry. And best defender by, in my opinion, um, you know, that the Premiership's ever seen. So, a very popular figure in Scotland, obviously, as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. <laughs> 
Uh, so can you remember the first match that you actually attended? First match I attended? Uh, I can't actually remember it, but I've, I think there's a picture of it. I think it was like, I think it was Chelsea against either Barnsley or Nottingham Forest. It was one, I, I can't actually remember exactly the team, but there's a picture of me there with my dad. And I was only about like, I think two or three, but um, apparently not very into the football, just into eating snacks or whatever <laughs> during the game. But um, but uh, the first game that I can actually remember going to, I would say was, um, it was Chelsea against uh, Monaco in the in the Champions League, which I think was like the, the quarterfinal or semifinal. I don't know if, if you guys remember it. Um, but yeah, I think Chelsea actually, I think they lost uh, in the end, but I was, I was very young then, but that's probably the first one that I can remember, yeah. Yeah, was that not the semi that Chelsea knocked Arsenal out, didn't they, in the quarters? And then Monaco now, got through to the final against Porto. And then uh, well, Chelsea won the quarters, then they lost to Monaco in the semi. Yeah, I think so. And then Mourinho oh, also went to win there. the championship with Porto that season. And then and then he came the next year. That that sounds about right. Yeah, because I probably would have been about, oh, I can't even remember then, maybe seven, six. Or, no, maybe a bit old, maybe about eight or nine, actually. But, even um, that is disgusting. That makes me feel yeah. so old, Tommy. <laughs> oh, no, I'm... Um, I'm feeling very old myself. <laughs> we'll, we'll get onto that later, though. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll continue on the theme of making you uh, feel old. So we'll go back in time. So I believe I'm right in saying that you joined the Arsenal youth setup uh, around about the age of seven. But I was just wondering if it was always going to be that, or were there other clubs maybe interested in you at that stage? Uh, no. So at that stage, um, yeah, I was, yeah, so I think I was seven when I got scouted by Arsenal and I was just playing for my sort of local local team and Arsenal was actually probably the closest academy to me. So at that kind of um, back sort of when I was coming through, the the teams kind of, they tended to just scout their kind of local areas, especially at that age. I know like now, they, you know, they look a lot sort of further afield, even at the, you know, them sort of young ages of eight, nine and stuff, you some teams were looking at boys, you know, a couple hours away at least, and they, they travel, you know, the parents are taking them two or three times a week, you know, two, three hour drives, which I think is, you know, it's, it's crazy. But, um, but yeah, so Arsenal was my local team and they scouted me, uh, yeah, to come down for trials, which I sort of did. And I think within about maybe three, four months, maybe the trials lasted for, and they kind of narrowed the boys down from, I think it was about 150 they, they'd selected and it sort of went down to about 16 in the end. And yeah, I was fortunate enough to sort of be in that 16. And at that time, you know, when you get picked for that, um, you know, you feel like, I remember thinking, oh, that's it. I'm a, I'm a footballer now. I've, I've made it. And little did I know the the long journey that was that was to come. But, um, but yeah, and no, I was, I, 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 I still got a vivid sort of memory of driving home from the game when my dad said that, the scout had been there and he'd asked me to, you know, uh, he'd asked for me to obviously go down for the trials and stuff. And it was, yeah, definitely probably still one of the best feelings that I can kind of remember. <laughs> so, so yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Usually I get the opposite after a game of fives. It's still come back. <laughs> so it's a slightly different feeling. But uh, there we go. Two different career paths. That's absolutely true. Um, <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you in a, a, a team together or...? We we used to be in our younger days. Yeah, <laughs> it was not very successful. I'm, I'm actually looking for for some five teams now. So, so if there's anyone out there down in the London area listening, I'm available. <laughs> so were you always a, a centre half or a defensive minded player? 
Uh, not at that age. At that age, when I was young, it was. A, I think everyone who makes it as a footballer was a striker at that age. I think maybe a centre mid as well. But and then you slowly sort of find your position. My way, I got. I was a striker. Then actually went centre mid, then centre back. Um, probably trying to just work my way out of the team. You know, <laughs> I was just about good enough to stay in as a defender. But um, but yeah, so I was a striker probably until about aged, I think eleven. And then um, one of the coaches at Arsenal said that he thought he sort of saw potential in me as a defender. And um, so, yeah, it was literally just a case of one week I was playing striker, next week he played me centre-back. And, and um, yeah, obviously did, did quite well there and um, never... And, yeah, that's kind of where I found my found myself, so, yeah. So fast forward a couple, a few years, um, at the age of 14, you're then released by Arsenal and you make the move across London to Watford. Can you just talk us through how you felt at that age? I mean, it must be a real kind of hammer blow at that age to be let go of your club. And then how did the move to Watford come about? 100%, yeah. As I said, like I've got a vivid memory of how good I felt when I got scouted by Arsenal. And I've also got a vivid memory of how terrible I felt when I sort of got released. Like, um, honestly, I probably knew that, the, that I was going to um, be let go at that age. I'd actually missed so, like a year through injury the the year before I got released and I kind of fell behind to, you know, the rest of the boys development wise, I hadn't quite grown yet either. And that kind of age is, it's, it's, it's tough for a lot of boys. Cause some boys, you know, have already gone through puberty, like puberty and they're almost like men. And then there's others that are still boys. And it's, um, it's quite a challenging time, probably for, even for coaches to, to kind of judge, you know, who are the players that are, you know, the, the ones that are going to make it, the ones that aren't, because, you know, physically, you know, boys that are so much more advanced and that makes a big difference at that age. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd sort of fallen behind and I remember sort of getting released and at that age, you kind of want to just, you know, brush it off, act like everything's fine, but it definitely, you know, it really affected me and I was sort of very down for, you know, a good probably week or two. And um, and it, it took me, yeah, definitely a while to kind of get over that. But thankfully there was a, a coach um, who was with me when I was a bit younger at, at Arsenal and he'd recently just joined Watford and he sort of remembered me you know, from my time at Arsenal and liked me as a player and um, sort of put in a good word basically at Watford and Watford signed me and um, yeah, from that moment on things really kind of I'd say that's when things sort of really kick-started for me and started to get serious I, I, I did kind of grow that next year when I was sort of 14, 15 at Watford and um, between the age of 14 and 16, I really did sort of kick on and, um, and, and yeah, by the age of 16 then I was kind of knocking on the doors of the like reserve team for the first team and stuff. And, um, and that's when it, it started to get serious. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously you go to Watford and eventually uh, Malky Mackay gives you your first team debut at the age of 17 in a 3-1 defeat to Preston North End. Can you remember much about your debut? And um, regarding Malky Mackay, he's a, let's call him a divisive figure these days, particularly in Scotland. Um, what can you tell us about your relationship with him? Yeah, well, I, I didn't actually work with him too closely for too long. So I was I was very young. I was only 16 going turning 17 that year when um, when he was, uh, when I made my debut and he was Watford manager. So the majority of that year, I was with the youth team still. And it was the back end of that year when... Um, you know, I started training with the first team more and then he obviously gave me my debut. But um, yeah, I've got, you know, I haven't got any, not a bad word to say about him. He's obviously, he went on to do 
you know, to do to do well at Watford and then obviously did very well at Cardiff, getting promoted and stuff. And he's, you know, been around Wigan, obviously now up at um at Ross County. So he's, you know, been very successful as a manager and I'll be always very grateful for him for sort of giving me, you know, my debut. And um I like things as well, maybe if he if he had stayed at Watford a bit longer because he left the next year, maybe I I might have played a bit more the next season as well. But um but yeah, no, he um you're always very grateful to the manager that gave you your debut and I'll never forget that day. It was um I didn't definitely didn't expect to come on and um wasn't sort of meant to come on. Someone the defender actually got injured, I think after like 20 minutes. And I still kind of thought, oh, he'll probably throw someone else on. But then I've seen him turn around, give me them eyes. He's got them, them, you know, <laughs> them scary eyes, Malky. But, <laughs> but yeah, and then I was like, oh wow, this is actually happening now. But then I guess it was kind of good that it happened like that because I didn't really have too much time to think about it. It was just kind of I say I've got to get on now and um, sometimes when you know you're playing the next day if you're a young boy and you know it's going to be your debut of the whole night you're up sort of sweating all night not getting any sleep but um, yeah it's uh, obviously we lost 3-1 but I thought I did okay myself especially for sort of being that young and um, yeah it was just uh, an amazing experience and I think yeah like two three years earlier I was getting released from Arsenal as a 14 year old and then yeah, I think less than three years later, I'm making my debut in sort of men's football. It was, uh, yeah, sort of them three years, a sort of a very sort of speedy journey into into the reality of uh, men's football. So, yeah. And I'm sure that 70 minutes just flew by, didn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like I was, um, I, I was absolutely exhausted by the end of it, but because it, it was completely different, like the difference between, you know, a first team game and even a reserve game, just the adrenaline, the crowd, everything is... It was, um, you know, just a complete another level, but it, it flew by. And you know, I remember the rest of that summer, I felt like I was, I felt like I was John Terry for the rest of that summer. I felt like I'd, well, I'd say I'm 17, I've already made my debut and I felt on top of the world. So it was, it was, it was really good. But yeah. And then obviously at the start of the 2012, the, the 2012-13 campaign, you signed a new deal with Watford, tying you down for a, a, a four-year deal to the end of the 2017 season. And by the end of that season, you'd been 19 appearances in the first team, um, scored a couple of goals, you were named the Hornets Young Player of the Year for that season, and an award you, you picked up again in 2014. 2015, as you made 30 appearances as Watford got promoted back to the Premier League, and then new manager, well, at Watford, that seems like a revolving door, um, started around that kind of period, I guess, and continues to this day. But it's uh, Kiki Sanchez-Flores who comes in at the start of the 15-16 season, and and you know, I think potentially the new manager come in combined with some injuries that saw you fail to make any appearances in the top division that season. I mean, how frustrating was that for you, especially having been such a key member of the team that, that got promoted? Yeah, well, it was it was frustrating, but um, I've, you probably, oh, I, I was actually injured that from pre-season until the very end of that, that season. So I, I wasn't actually fit for the whole season, unfortunately, which ended up being a bit of a, um, a recurring sort of theme throughout my career. But... So yeah, like I'd say um 2012-13 was amazing first half of the year. Um I played pretty much every game from September until Christmas and then um unfortunately got injured then again and was out for about a year with that was my first sort of serious injury. I had an operation my ankle and stuff. Then came back the next season, um, the end of it, played a little bit. And then the next season had a really good year. We got promoted and I was played about 30 games and it's great. And then, yeah, I'm thinking off the back of that, obviously had quite a lot of, um, you know, interesting stuff. And I was hoping to 
yeah make my sort of impact in the on the Premiership and and um, yeah I wasn't expecting to go in and play every game but I was hoping to be you know in and around the team but unfortunately I picked up a sort of groin issues which a lot of players you know struggle with kind of pubis groin problems and they're kind of a bit of a mystery like it's really hard to figure out what exactly is causing it and that's exactly sort of what happened for a year I, I, we could I still to this day couldn't tell you exactly what caused the pain but I was just in you know too much pain to play basically for the whole year and it was it was it was it was yeah it was, it was gutting I mean obviously having worked so hard the year before and been part of that success you want to you want to stay in and um, I felt like at that time as well if I had stayed fit I probably would have you know, really kicked on that like things were, you know, I'd come off the back of a really good year. I was feeling confident, feeling good. And, um, and, you know, I think at that stage quite, um, you know, Watford thought quite highly of me as well. So it, it you know, that was sort of was the time to really kick on, but um, yeah, unfortunately it, it wasn't meant to be. And, uh, you know, injuries happen. It's, they it happen to so many players and um, it is part of the game, but um, yeah, it was definitely very frustrating. Can you talk to us about what it's like as a player being at a club like Watford where it feels like the manager changes roughly about once every six months? I mean, just yeah. this week they sacked the guy that got them promoted this year and now I think Claudio Ranieri's gone in. I mean, yeah. it must be, you must be just, I don't know, like on tenterhooks the entire time? It's tough, yeah, definitely. And I think as a, as a young player coming through at Watford at that time, I, it, I I used to always kind of feel a bit like oh poor me I feel sorry for myself because like whenever the new manager did does come in they kind of naturally um, you know straight away they, the first team they pick they kind of pick the players you know the more experienced guys the guys they kind of know the guys that played a lot of games just because it's safer for them as a young player that was very frustrating because it always used to happen I felt like I'd you'd work really hard and finally the new manager would kind of gain trust in you start to play and then suddenly bang he's gone again and um, there's another guy coming in the door and it's it's definitely sort of tough as a player but at Watford you know I kind of got used to it because um, literally every six months there was a new manager so you know if you is something you just had to adapt to and and get used to. And at the end of the day, if you're if you're playing well, training well, eventually you're going to get yourself in the team. That's the way you know things work in football. So um, I, th- I think maybe in some ways it, it could have even benefited me in, in terms of you know we, we had to whenever there's a new manager coming in, you're having to impress them and maybe in training and stuff. It helped keep myself and all the other players um, you know just really on it and and focused and. And I think it definitely, if you look at the Watford sort of model, like I know it's everyone's you know thinks it's it's really harsh on the managers and stuff like that, and it is hard as a player, but it's a successful model. I mean, they've Watford stayed for a club the size of Watford's been the Prem for as long as they were, and then all right, they got relegated, but straight back up again. I think it shows that that kind of impact a new manager can have can um, you know definitely is uh, can be positive on the team. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so off the back of that season um, with Watford in the Premiership where you, you don't get any opportunity, you then make the move to Blackburn Rovers on loan for the 2016-17 season, uh, appearing 17 times in total, grabbed one goal. But your spell there, I believe it was kind of blighted with a shoulder problem, is that right? Yeah, so the start of the next pre-season, I actually had a, felt like I had a really good pre-season at Watford and um, was hoping to you know sort of get myself... Um, in the fold there um but 
at the same time, I, I felt like I'd missed a year through injury. So I felt like I, I need to play. I really want to play this year. And Blackburn were quite keen to sort of take me on loan. And um, and so, yeah, I've sort of, between myself and Watford made a decision, yeah, let's go out, hopefully get you know, 40 games in the championship and then come back the next year and be ready to try and play in the Prem. And yeah, so I went to Blackburn, started really well. Um, the team was kind of struggling, but like personally, I I was actually, you know, I felt like I was performing pretty well. The fans you know, were really good to me and stuff up there. And um, I was enjoying my time. But then, yeah, unfortunately, about two, two and a half months in, I um, dislocated my shoulder and missed, I think, four months it was. And um, I didn't get back until sort of March time. And by that time, the manager had changed at Blackburn. And I kind of, I, I played a little bit at the end of the season, about, I think, another sort of five, six games, kind of in and out of the team. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a shame, really, because I felt like that season, I'd, you know, even though the team was struggling, I'd, I'd started really well, I was performing well. And yeah, it was just another, <laughs> the next sort of injury in a, in a long line. But, but yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess when we talk about that, we go on to what I guess sadly became like somewhat the theme of your career. Um, so at the start of the 2017-18 season is when you suffer your first serious ACL injury in training. Um, yeah, what was going through your mind at that point? I mean, did you know as soon as it happened that this is something serious and just how disappointing was it? You know, I guess you had been hoping that you could kick on there and force your way into the team. Yeah, it's that preseason. I remember going back in, probably the fittest I've, I'd ever felt actually. So I'd, I'd, I'd missed a lot of the, the time um, at Blackburn with the shoulder injury, but the back end of that season, you know, been sort of working hard in the gym. Um, had quite a long time actually running because with the shoulder I could run, but it was contact stuff that stopped me from playing. So I felt very fit, and I maintained that over summer. Went into preseason at Watford, um, new manager again. <laughs> surprise, surprise, and. Um, it was yeah, it was it was going pretty well. I was having a, a good sort of first few weeks, and then um, I think I, I tackled Troy, Troy and Troy Deeney, and he sort of fell on my knee, and um, so yeah, it's all Troy's fault. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, he kind of fell on my knee, and um, I probably never should have made a tackle. To be fair, I was just trying to be a bit busy in training, but <laughs> yeah, so he's kind of. So, what up. were you doing trying to tackle Troy Dini? Yeah, I know that's that, that, that's what he said. I think after, but yeah, so um, I kind of tweaked the little uh, ligament in the knee, so it wasn't too, it wasn't serious, serious, but it was still, you know, I was probably going to be out for about they said sort of four to six weeks at the time, but um, it kind of seemed to settle quite quick and. After two weeks, I was back training, and it's probably one of the biggest regrets of my my whole career, really, because between myself and you know the physio team, we probably should have delayed it and respected sort of what the scan had said rather than exactly how I was feeling. And um, I went back into training, and uh, then yeah, I kind of I think my second session back, I kind of jumped, landed, and I just felt my knee kind of buckle a bit. I was like, oh, it kind of hurt. But it didn't feel like crazy pain, but it, it felt like I'd kind of lost control. I was like, that, that didn't feel sort of right. And so sort of, yeah, I came in, um, saw the physios. At that stage, they still were saying, oh, it seems okay. It doesn't seem to, it seems stable when they were testing it and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, okay. Um, I sort of took tablets to help with the pain, went back out to train the next day. Um, 
And then about 10 minutes into that session, my knee buckled again. Um, and then again, I sort of came in, they tested it again, like, doesn't seem too bad. Like, I think you're okay. Like, you know, keep going. And I'm thinking that something doesn't feel right here. And then again, gone back out. Um, five minutes later, gone to stop quickly. And my knees just completely buckled. This time I sort of said to them, again, it, it would hurt, but it wouldn't, it wasn't like excruciating pain. It wasn't like the second one. I, 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 at that point I said I need another scan on this like it's, it's, this just doesn't feel right and um, went for a scan and it came back and it said the ACL was torn and I, I was I was kind of shocked I didn't think it was going to be that bad because I've seen a lot of other players that had done it and they you know rolled in about in, in agonies in loads of pain and um, but yeah and at that point I still probably didn't quite realise the sort of seriousness of it or how long it was going to be I knew it was a serious injury, but, um, you know, it was still just kind of a bit of a shock really. And then, and then, yeah, so I went to see the surgeon, you know, obviously told her to need surgery and at that point realised well, it's the end of the season before it's season before it's, you know, even begun. And yeah, it was, um, it, it was, it was, it was, yeah, I remember crying sort of on the way home. It was, it was definitely really hard to take and, and um and yeah definitely probably one of the lowest moments i'd say in in the career but yeah so having spent the best part of a year rehabilitating watford agreed to loan you to aberdeen ahead of the 2018-19 campaign was there any other interest in terms of clubs wanting to take you on loan and if so was there a particular reason that you chose aberdeen was that just you know the, the club or did Derek McInnes have to do anything to persuade you um so yeah, I think there was another, there was a couple of championship teams interested. I think at that stage, Bolton were quite interested as well. They were in, I was, they were the two that I was kind of choosing between um, at that point. Um, but I remember, yeah, I so uh, Derek called me, I think, while I was away in pre-season with Watford. And um, I th- yeah, I spoke to him on the phone and anyone who knows <laughs> Derek McInnes knows he's, he is a fantastic you know, talker and as soon as I spoke to him I was sold in Aberdeen um, he just made me feel like I was going to be sort of really you know welcome revalued really there I just wanted to be somewhere where you know I did feel sort of very valued and you know he spoke to me about because at that point I didn't really know much about you know Scottish football in general really let alone sort of Aberdeen but you know explained sort of how big the club is and um and then I sort of did a bit of my own sort of research and and it, it just kind of felt like it was fit. And, um, and it, it, you know, it definitely was, obviously it didn't work out in terms of injuries that year, but I'm still, you know, beyond grateful that I did make the decision to join Aberdeen because, um, yeah, between sort of that year and, and last year and sort of living up there, it's uh, definitely a special place now for myself and my family. So, so yeah. And you kind of just touched on it there, Tommy, obviously doing a bit of research. What did you really know about, you know, Aberdeen, the club, the city, I guess the league as well, before you kind of decided to come up north? Yeah, to be honest, like down south in England, unless you're, unless you are Scottish and sort of have um, you know Scottish family and an interest in Scottish football, all you really see and know about is, you know, the old firm Celtic Rangers. That's the only game that you might see sort of down here on TV. So I honestly, I didn't actually know much about Aberdeen or the history of the club or anything, but, you know, once I came up, it was, it was a, it was a really nice surprise to see sort of how big the club actually is. And, you know, the fans, it's obviously such a big fan base being, you know, the only sort of real team up in that Northeast of Scotland. It's, um, 
you know, you are a real sort of focal point for everyone. And um, and then, of course, the history of the team as well. Like, I, I think I, I was aware that, you know, obviously Alex Ferguson and stuff, and, you know, that's kind of where he began his sort of journey as a manager and was obviously very successful. But I didn't sort of realise, you know, I didn't know it as in-depth as obviously I do now. And, um, and yeah, obviously being up there, um, you kind of, it, it did feel special to be sort of part of, um, you know, a big club like that. And, and um, yeah, I loved my time out there last year and and even that year, the bit parts that I was obviously up there. So, yeah. And the area as well, sorry, just touching on it, because obviously you touched on, you know, yourself, your family really enjoyed your time up here. What was it in particular about the city or the surroundings that, that, you, that you liked so much? Oh, we, we absolutely love it, honestly. Like, everything about it i think i think like you guys obviously you're up there it's probably just home to you it's normal but coming from like london just you know the city just houses and just suburban sort of london to aberdeen where you've got like the beach you've got them like the mountains like all the walks and stuff used to go on just just going for a drive like driving to the training ground just seeing the scenery just made me feel good like just every day going in it's just it's it's amazing and um and then you've also still got Aberdeen, like the city, you know, for everything you need in there. So I just think I just think it's got, you know, it's the, the best of the best of everything, really. And I remember when, when I first went up there, this the weather was amazing as well. I couldn't believe weather. I was thinking Scotland, like it's gonna be terrible, like wet, rainy, windy. I went up there, it was like 25, 30 degrees for like a month in that sort of July time. And that was that was unreal. I was going down to is it Balmedy, the beach, Balmedy Beach and stuff. And, like that beach is massive, like huge sandy beach and stuff. Like, and yeah, we we loved it. And then my uh, son Finley, he was born up there, um, just after I actually injured my shoulder, and so he's he's actually Scottish, <laughs> and um, and and yeah, so it will always hold a really special place in our hearts, you know, purely because of that. And he he's still he's desperate to get back up there like he still thinks scotland's home he thinks we're on holiday down here he's asking when we're going to go home <laughs> but um but yeah so i wouldn't be surprised if we do end up moving back up there one day to be honest but, but yeah good man i'm sure that the uh the, the check from aberdeen city's tourism board will be on the on its way to you uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> also i'll tell you what if, if your son turns out to be half as good at football as you are then you know we're claiming him as our own yeah oh well he's um it's, it's not looking promising at the minute. <laughs> I won't tell him, don't tell him I said that, but <laughs> nah, he's, he's, he's starting to get a little bit better, but he wasn't interested in it at all for ages. I think I was like, come on, kick the ball. Like, he, like he's more into tractors and farms and that's blame that on Aberdeen as well. <laughs> that's what happens. Like I take my wee boy to football training at the moment. He's, he's just turned four. And you'll be like, yeah, it's fine. He'll score some goals. He's like, yeah, that's grand. But it's like Paw Patrol. That's what it's at. Paw Patrol, exactly. Yeah. Paw Patrol, Pepper Pig, you know, you name it. So, yeah, like you say, you learned about the kind of size of the club. And I guess you learned um, where Aberdeen were as a club very quickly because you sign on the 25th of July and you're immediately thrown in the next night in the memorable Europa League game against Burnley at Patodre. That ended 1-1. I think Gary McCoy even scored a penalty. And yeah a Burnley player scored an equaliser. Yeah. Um, can you talk us through that game, uh, finding out, did, did you know that you were going to be playing uh, when you signed? And can you just talk to us about the atmosphere that night? Yeah, no, I think, again, let's say, going up to Scottish football and going straight into that game, it was it was probably the perfect game to go into because 
in Australia, where I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's incredible. Is it always going to be like this kind of thing? And I remember the boys saying, it, it's not always like this. And we're <laughs> family on the weekend, it's not going to be like this. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was incredible. Like I didn't know I was going to be playing. Um, I was actually very, no, like my knee. I said, that was my first game back actually after my ACL and um, the knee still wasn't feeling great. So I remember being very kind of just thinking, just get off. Oh, I really hope I can get through. Like I was in a lot, quite a bit of pain and stuff before it. And I was thinking, just, just get through, just get through, just get through. And that probably took my mind off actually thinking about the football side of things. But, um, but yeah, I remember um, it was a, obviously a, a, a very good result, I guess, against the Burnley team that had a, it was an unbelievable year the previous year in the Prem. And um, we did really well. And I was very like impressed by the standard of the team as well. And because um, it, I didn't really know what it was going to be like. I'd only ever played in the championship before. I was kind of used to that level, but yeah, the boys were, you know, terrific that night and straight away I could see it was, you know, a good team and I was just really excited for, for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So you featured in the return leg uh, the following week at Turf Moor where I thought Aberdeen gave a pretty good account of ourselves, albeit unfortunately we were, you know, we were put out 4-2 in aggregate. So it's probably, yeah, a whirlwind start to your time at Aberdeen. Um, so what were your initial thoughts maybe just on on the squad you kind of alluded to it with it after the first match but now you'd had two games with the guys what were you thinking about them yeah no I, I, I could see obviously I hadn't, I hadn't trained too much so in between them games but I could see, you know, see from training in them games that the standard was I, I would say definitely higher than I, I expected it to be um, a lot of you know really good sort of young boys there. I was really impressed by the young young players I say to a lot of young players now like I think the the SPL is the the perfect place for you to be because you know you get exposure a much um, you know there's much more better, better chance of playing sort of for the the teams and there is sort of down in England let's say in the championship and stuff but um, but yeah a lot a lot of really um, good young players obviously you know the likes of like Scotty Wright was sort of coming through at that stage Scott McKenna obviously um, had sort of just broken through like you know that was I was you know, really impressed and. A really sort of good bunch of guys as well as sort of off the pitch, like in the dressing room. Like compared to down at Watford, it's um, it's different at sort of you know Premier League teams. It's a, people are a bit more kind of to themselves, and oh, I, I felt like at Watford, anyway, it was a bit more something kind of clicky in terms of um, you know who you kind of got on with. But at Aberdeen, everyone was so close, really got on with each other, and um, and yeah, it was I really enjoyed really enjoyed that sort of first kind of period there. I mean, because we're in no way petty, I'm definitely not going to edit over that and cut out Scott Wright's name there, but whatever. Uh, there's a few that aren't too happy with him, are they? <laughs> He's a great guy. He's a great guy, obviously. Can't say a bad word about him. <laughs> um, after a couple of games out with Niggles, you return to the starting lineup for the visit to Easter Road and you grab your first goal for Aberdeen uh, just on halftime, showing the kind of striker's instincts that we could uh, really use right now, actually, to be fair. A proud moment to get your first goal for the club? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It's something I've, I think I scored for every team that I played for. So that was that's something that I'm, I'm you know, quite happy to say. But um, yeah, I was yeah, delighted to score. Um, was it one? I can't remember. Was it 1 1 that game? I can't remember the. I think it ended 1 1, yeah. 1 1, yeah. I think. Did they score later on or did we? I think I put us 1 0 up, didn't I? So yeah, they must You put us 1 0 up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was um, yeah, really good score, you know, buzzing score. And um I, I think I, but then I actually got injured that game. I think did I as well? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. So it was a bit, yeah. Like I probably didn't get to celebrate as much as I'd like because um, 
yeah, unfortunately, it was it was the last game I played for a while, wasn't it? So, um, but yeah, no, yeah, really happy to score. Um, obviously, that's a, a really uh, Hibs is a Easter Road's a good stadium to play at, and um, yeah, like a lot of them early games that I played, they all seemed like quite big games, and it was um, I was yeah, sort of loving every minute on the pitch and stuff. So, yeah, obviously, um, very disappointed. To, um, sort of get injured in that game but I didn't actually figure out that it was as serious as it was until I think later on that week but and you kind of touched on there off injuries then kind of mean you miss out on the kind of the great 1-0 victory against Rangers at Hamden in the League Cup semi and then missed the final as well where the Dons were once again edged out by Brendan Rodgers' side in a, in a major final but obviously you were in and around the squad at that point and Tom you're the first person we've spoken to who's been you know so recently with the club and was in those squads. Can you kind of give us kind of some sort of insight into kind of what was the, what was the mood and the attitudes like in the camp when we were playing Celtic in these finals and semi-finals? Cause it always felt to us as fans that we just could never quite get the job done against them. Yeah. I think it's, it's, um, it's obviously it's tough. I think that, that the Celtic team around that time, obviously not probably the last couple of years, but um you know, they had that kind of invincibility kind of feel, didn't they? And I think I'd say, I can't speak on behalf of everyone, but um, I think probably a lot of players at the other SPL, at the other Scottish teams, you know, felt that because, you know, they were, you know, was it, how many years on the bounce? Is it, is it 10, wasn't it? Nine. Uh, they did nine, nine on the bounce. Nine, yeah. they did do 10, so wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So like nine years on the bounce, like, it's hard. Like it's, it's when you say hard as play. Obviously, whenever you go out onto the pitch, you're you're doing as best as you can sort of every game. But you know, when you come up against you know that sort of caliber of team, you know, and you're so used to unfortunately losing against them, I think in the back of your head it, there is that kind of psychological thing that you know makes it um, really difficult you know to beat them. And um, the same way they for them they they never expect to lose and when you're in a team that's so used to winning, like you just seem to find a way to win. Like I've been in teams that have been successful and you think you're, even when teams are out playing you, like the times maybe, you know, Aberdeen sort of played them and played really well, that you still just have that belief that, oh, we're going to win somehow. We're going to win somehow. And I think Celtic obviously had that for so long. And and it's tough because I think around that time, I think the Aberdeen team was, you know, there were some very good Aberdeen teams and teams that, you know, probably deserved to maybe be a bit more successful than they were but you know when you as I say Celtic were were so strong that time and kind of built up that kind of invincible you know mindset and um, and yeah it was, it was tough. So yeah you eventually make your way back to the squad for a, a midweek fixture at Hamilton that sees the Dons run out 3-0 winners before coming off the bench the following Saturday in the 0-0 draw with Kilmarnock so I'm guessing at that point you must have been thinking you know, over the injuries, this is my chance to really get going at Aberdeen. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I'd say I was, I was kind of back from the, I, I still sorry, wasn't feeling physically at my best at that point. It was kind of, I was back, but you know, not great, but I was definitely just hoping to, you know, get down and start playing some regular games. The body will start feeling good and, um, and just get going again. But yeah, I think I had so many injuries up to that point that I did kind of have, I was, probably feeling nervous and stuff in my in myself like even when I was going on the pitch like it, it was no it was starting to become no longer what's I just thinking about myself my performance and football I was just thinking about my body all the time like there was it just wasn't feeling good I was just thinking about kind of getting through but 
I was just, yeah, I was hoping to play as many games as I could and and hopefully have a you know successful second half of the season with the team. And um, I can't remember exactly where we were. I think we were probably third at that point in the league and you know in a fairly decent position. So yeah, it was obviously extremely you know devastating when you know, that didn't that didn't obviously obviously come to, to happen in the second half of the season. But yeah. Yeah, you you started the four one victory at Stenosphere in a Scottish Cup replay. So midweek. Uh, game that Steele and I were at and I was a little surprised you were in the team to be honest given your injury record and the fact their pitch looked like it was concrete with a little bit of astroturf on top of it yeah it was yeah um so you then you keep your place for the next six games and then you know unfortunately disaster strikes again home to St Mirren where it's just on half time it's it's innocuous you're making a change of direction and then you go down and it's the knee at that point did you know it was your ACL again um, I I think I probably didn't know it was definitely the ACL, but I um, I knew that it was very serious and most probably the ACL. I thought it was it was that and a few other things. I it was just it was a bad one that one. So it was it was my other knee. It wasn't the knee that I'd done before, but um, yeah, it, and it was completely different to the last one. So that's why cause the last one I kind of kept. I was able to keep kind of trying, and my knee just kept buckling. This one was just like a big, you know. It like suddenly it wasn't an impact, but like it felt like a car had just crashed into the side of my leg. Basically, like I just my knee just completely gave way, and I felt like I'd actually I thought I'd broken the leg. It felt like a big I heard a big snap, but that was obviously the the ACL and stuff snapping. But um, but yeah, it was I I have no idea why it happened. Um, it's just just one of them things. I think if you actually look at the statistics, I remember the surgeon telling me that people that do one, the chance of them doing the other is then you know drastically higher than somebody's you know never done one before and apparently it could be even genetic maybe like some people genetically just have the way your sort of body's shaped it puts more stress on the acl and stuff like that but you know all of that if you know could people like to nitpick and stuff but at the end of the day it is what it is and it happened and yeah it was it was i knew straight away it was really serious and i was going to be out for ages but and also this time i knew kind of my contract was up at the end of the season at Watford so there was a lot of stuff that was kind of racing through my head but it was um yeah it was it was a very difficult moment on a mental level can you just try and put into words for the listeners um just what that did to you you know having a a repeat of a serious injury you know just again when you're it looks like you're getting back into football into the first team and you know, you're really impressing with your performances. And like you say, you've got all the other circumstances going around it. Just how mentally tough it is for a footballer to to recover from those injuries mentally as well as physically. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculously hard. Like um I don't like to talk about it too much because I always feel like oh, I'm being you know, I don't want to play the poor me, like feel sorry for myself because you know there's people in way worse situations than than I was ever in, like with them injuries. At the end of the day, you know, I've I've got so much good in my life as well other than that but but if if I'm but yeah to be honest it it's it's awful I mean as footballers you, you start at the age of seven and you, you you that's when I see myself as my career starting and you give so much to it you put everything into it there's so many sacrifices you have to make and um and it's it's it's, it's to get to that level you know you have to commit so much and it's it's your dream since you're a kid and and um I always had a dream of you know playing the the Premiership in England, and that that's always where I wanted to be. And every injury that I had, it 
it kind of felt like it was just you know all right set back but it's, it's kind of I'd, I'd spin it and you know use it to kind of spur myself on to you know it's going to be even better when I get back even better when I get back but but that one like, like when that happened it it was like it was really hard to put a spin on that one basically because you know I felt like that 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 this was kind of the last chance I was to kind of 25 26 I think if I'm ever going to get to where I feel like I, I can be and I should be this is when I have to sort of start kicking on now and yeah I'd kind of just started playing I still wasn't feeling great but I felt like I was playing okay and um and yeah and then suddenly you know that happens again and because I'd done the ACL before I knew how tough it was and I knew I still wasn't feeling good from the other one and it was just so much like really negative thoughts just spinning around my head and it's, it's, it, was, it was really difficult to to try and get rid of them and I was definitely you know very down very low for for you know I'd say the next year really until um until I did kind of get back and yeah, it definitely affected me off the pitch, you know, around with my, my missus, um, you know, kids and stuff. I, I Finley had just been born and you want to be sort of the best person you can sort of for them as well. And but all I'm kind of, I'd be sitting there just kind of feeling sorry for myself and thinking, oh, what, like me again, why me? Like, why is this happening? And it was definitely really tough. But, um, but yeah, eventually you have to just, you have to just get on with it. You have to realise that, you know, it is what it is like you can't control what what happens in your life you can't control the cards you get dealt and as I said at the same time although it was really hard and um you know being in pain and stuff and things weren't going how I wanted them to sort of with my football I still had a lot of good stuff going in my life so I just tried to focus on all of that and um and start thinking about other things and that was probably actually when I started to think about career after football sort of during that time and did put in serious steps to sort of planning for that and um, and yeah, it kind of um, that's why I sort of put me on the path to where I am actually today. I think, um, but yeah, it's it's a really interesting insight, Tom, and like really appreciate it because I think it's something that I don't think it's spoken about enough now is the kind of mental well being of professional footballers and professional sportsmen, not just not just footballers, but footballers especially in the UK because obviously it's the biggest game in the you know in 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 in, in the country and all that kind of good stuff and. People, I think, just assume because they see professional footballers on TV or whatever that they're all earning mega bucks and they must just be living this fantastic life. But you'd never really hear that often about, you know, what it's like for people to be going through those types of situations. So I think it's really, really useful to get that kind of insight. The the injury ends your loan spell with Aberdeen at that point and, and you return to Watford, although then obviously they make the decision, as you touched on early, not to renew your contract. That was up at the end of that season anyway. Can, can you kind of talk us through just how that, that felt and how that worked to be in a situation where you're, you know, you're still recovering from a really serious injury at that point, but you've got no club there to kind of continue that rehab with. Yeah, no, it was, it was very difficult. Um, so I, I knew my contract wasn't going to get renewed from Watford as soon as I did that ACL, you know, it's, it's a business football and, um, you know, we are just commodities, you know, commodities in the, you know the business, the business world. And I was probably seen as a commodity that was that was failing and untrustworthy, which is 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 true. At the end of the day, like if I was running a club and um, you know I was in that situation myself, like as as a business, you know, if I a player that's getting injured all the time is obviously no use. So I, I knew my time was up there, and but as you say, I, I still. I still had that dream. I still wanted to get back. I, at that stage, I kind of felt like I, I can't, if I'd stopped then, I would have felt like I'd, um, 
I'd been like defeated, if you know, if you know what I mean. Like the injuries had won. Like I'd put so much in the, over the last four years. Like it had been a constant rehab. Like I felt like, you know, what was the point of all of that if I if I don't get back, kind of thing. And um, but then having to recover from an ACL without a club is is very difficult because it's such a complex injury. There's so much. Um, you know, the, the rehab needs to be managed, like the loads that the, once you get back running, that like you're running load, like the amount of stuff you do in the gym, the, the recovery sides of it, there's just so much that, that goes into sort of getting people back from ACLs. And when you haven't got access to physios, uh, sports scientists, uh, the, the equipment, it all, you know, definitely makes a difference. And um, I kind of tried doing it on my own for a while. Um, Aberdeen did actually offer to, you know, the manager said that you can come up if you need and sort of use the facilities and stuff, but it wasn't obviously that simple. You know, I was living down here with my family. I couldn't, um, you know, I'd have to sort of live up there really. I couldn't be tra traveling up and down between London and Aberdeen every week. And um, so it wasn't, it didn't sort of work to come up here sort of long term for it. But I'm very grateful for, you know, the club offering me to, to come up here and um, Watford were, weren't great if I'm being honest I can I can lie and pretend that they that they were but they weren't like there's some individuals within the club that did help me and you know, very grateful to them like some physios that I knew and stuff trying to help me but as a club they they weren't great and um, didn't sort of help with the rehab and I actually ended up needing a second operation because it wasn't right and there was a big palaver with all of that but um yeah I won't go into that but it was a, it was it was messy really and that all adds to the stress and I'm just thinking, you know, what's the point of all this? Is it even worth it? And I'm trying to get fit myself. just not feeling good day to day, not really knowing where I am. So in the end, I, I kind of paid to go and um, see if it's, if it's uh, a place called Isaac and Essig in London, which is um, it's a place I've been with. Uh, Watford has sent me for previous injuries. And um, I decided just to pay to go there every day and just saw it as, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to get back, I need, proper treatment and I need to be somewhere getting the level of care that I would get at a club and that was the only place that I felt could offer me that and I went there and um, thankfully you know they were amazing and it was a very good decision that I did go there because they the rehab kind of started to turn around then and uh, and, and I, I got myself back fit again and and yeah so that was a it was a difficult year because I spent the whole year sort of without a club and just kind of going to Virgin Active on my own really for the first half of it and then the second half going to isokinetic with an operation thrown in between. So it was, it was different, but at the same time, I kind of felt like, you know, in football, everything's done for you all the time. Like you don't have to make any decisions for yourself. Everything's just on a plate for you. But it was, so it was kind of probably good for me to kind of finally take control of things for myself and like everybody else has to do in life really. So Tommy, did you in fact, take up Aberdeen's offer to to help you with your rehab or was it, was it just all by yourself in London? No, I did it all by myself in London, yeah. Yeah. And then once I was once I was fully fit, um at the very end of it's actually uh, you might have it as the next question, but I'll tell you that's it. I, I got fit in March twenty uh twenty, which people may that is now famous for the 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 start of the new world that we live in now but um but yeah so I got fit in March 2020 and um got a call uh from uh Derek to he said do you want to sort of come up and um they basically I think someone had actually got injured I think 
I think it might have been Scott McKenna. I think he picked up an injury and was going to be out for a while. And so they kind of needed somebody in. And he said, do you want to come up and we'll see where, where you're at? And I came up, trained for a few days and he said that, you know, he'd like to offer me a contract at the end of the season. And they went off, I think, to play Motherwell, I believe yeah. it was. And then on the way down to Motherwell, the, that was it. COVID hit. And uh, and so, you know, the, that opportunity was, was no longer there. So, um, yeah. So then we do have the next question lined up. I thought we might as well just ask you this now. So um, regarding Derek McInnes, just as a manager, we've, you know, we've started this, this podcast like three months ago. We kind of look to the future rather than the past but we've maybe neglected to mention just how good times were under McInnes um and the one thing you get from listening to interviews with ex-players of his is it's all pretty resounding that everyone agrees that he was a, a very good man manager especially could you just tell us about your relationship with him yeah if, as I, say, I think he, he was a very very good man manager and then uh yeah I, I had a really good relationship with him he you know, kept in contact with me when I wasn't, um, you know, after the first ACL, dropped messages here and then just seeing how I was getting on and stuff like that. And um, as I say, he gave me the opportunity to come back then in March. And then again, uh, once COVID hit, once they went back training in June again, he gave me the opportunity to come back. So he's someone I'm very, you know, very grateful to. And he gave me a lot of opportunities. So I owe a lot to him. But um yeah, I think you touched on it there. Like, it's obviously as a fan, you're very emotional, and um, when re- things aren't going so well, people, you know, they forget about the past and they just think about, you know, how they're feeling in that moment. And obviously, when results aren't going too well, things haven't gone too well. It's easy to to say, um, you know, to say what people say and then to forget about you know what they've done before. But I think. Yeah, he will definitely go down as one of the the great Aberdeen managers. If you look at I think where the club was when he took over to where it is today, it's a completely different club. A club like if you look at it, just the infrastructure at the club, the training ground, the you know everything. It's um, it's it's a it's a club that probably obviously it's not Celtic Rangers yet, but it's a club that you know. Is definitely the the third the, the next club after them, and so hopefully one day we'll be able to challenge them. And I think that all came from the the, you know, the, the success that he had, um, especially early on. And 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 yeah, it's a, it's it's very tough, I think, as a manager to to kind of to to, to stay at a club for as long as he did. It, it shows, especially in this day and age, uh, you know, it's, it's very rare. And to maintain that success is very difficult. I mean, you look at all the top managers at every club. They all um, they they have success, but then eventually that success starts to fade, and then fans become unhappy, and and they end up getting sacked, and 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 they leave. But then five years down the line, you look back and you think, you know what, he was amazing. He he was great, and, and I'm sure that that's how he will be remembered at Aberdeen. Yeah. yeah, I think we'd agree with that. Um, so it's July thirty first, twenty twenty. It's announced that you'd signed a short term deal. With Aberdeen, and you make your first start of the second spell in an infamous 1 0 victory over St Johnston, which again had been rearranged because some Aberdeen players have been a little bit silly, shall we uh, say. Yeah. <laughs> um, as we'd recall, the game was on TV. You came through that game like really untroubled. You even put yourself into a couple of like big tackles. 
is there any kind of natural reluctance to be putting yourself into those situations, you know, where you could get injured or is it just, are you just so in the moment that, you know, you forget all about that? You, you, you do definitely forget about it, but at the same time, um, you know, my knees weren't feeling good at that stage of the season and well, they, they never feel great, but I, I wasn't feeling, you know, a hundred percent. So in the back of my head, uh, not not when I'm probably in the moment in the game, but like before the game and stuff like that, I'm I'm nervous, thinking, oh god, like, are they going to be okay? Like how are things going to be here? And it does kind of. I think at that stage, I'd like, even, even though I was back fit with how I was feeling, like for that whole season, really, like it kind of just changed. I, I kind of had to change the way I I ran, to change the way just just little things. I jumped like. You just kind of had to have to adapt to kind of deal with how your body now is kind of thing. And I wouldn't say it holds me back from tackles and stuff like that. Cause when you're in the moment, you just, you know, you just see the ball, you see this, you just, you, you, you don't think about it too much, but it definitely, um, yeah, there was, there was still, you know, thoughts of behind the injuries and stuff, especially in them early ones when, you know, you're just back, you know, fresh from it kind of thing. But yeah. When you'd signed back at Aberdeen, the manager had made uh, a point of stating that he'd, uh, I guess, between yourself and Derek, you'd have to manage your game time properly and you might not be able to play uh, every game and certainly you know, playing a couple of times a week might be a little bit too much uh, early on and that, that did bear out with the, the appearances you made. But quite quickly, you became an ever-present in the team. Was it something that you and Derek had spoken about and you felt your body was ready to deal with it or was it a case of Scott McKenna having left? There was now a vacancy that needed to be filled every week. Yeah, I think obviously in the, the very early stages, he kind of, um, yeah, he kind of sort of said, yeah, we'll definitely like manage you, this and that. And um, I myself was like, yeah, definitely like, I need to be managed. I want to be sensible. Of, I want to play another five, six years here. I think to, uh, this has to be the last injury. But then once you start playing, I don't want to not play. And then at the same time, if he's, he wants me to play. He's kind of, he's not going to think about that either. Like once, you know, results are, are um, you know, there's, there's three points on the line. There's, I say people's jobs on the line. It's, there's, there's a lot um, riding on it. He wants to get his best team out. And, um, and yeah, once, once the season kind of gets going, all that kind of stuff does slightly get, um, you know, push to the side I guess and um but that that is kind of the the reality of football that's not just Aberdeen that's that's every club like there's players that you know they'll be back from the injury and the manager say oh yeah we're going to manage them but then suddenly you need to win a game they want them playing they're, they're going to be playing and as a player it's it's tough because you probably deep down you know maybe you need a rest you need to be sensible but you never don't want to play you want to be in the team week in week out so you're never going to say no to to playing Oh, I suppose it's also a tricky one as a professional footballer. If word gets out that the footballer doesn't want to play or doesn't feel he can play, that's probably not going to be well received by fans, even though actually most people are never in that situation. So they probably can't really comment on it fairly. Exactly. Yeah. You're spot on. And also, but not just from fans, from managers as well. Like you have that pressure because if you say to the manager, oh, I, I don't feel good, then he's just, he's saying, oh, you, you don't want it enough. You, and a lot of managers will take it like that. So it is tough. Players are, are going through a lot to get themselves out, you know, week in, week out. And, you know, taking tablets, like you wouldn't believe, to just numb pain and stuff to to um, to get playing. And 
obviously the player the player really the player always wants to play as well so if a player does pull himself and or says that it's not right to play like you know there's there's a there is a problem there you know, there's no player that doesn't want to be in the team on a saturday afternoon so so yeah and i guess as well when you come and play for a team like aberdeen um playing in europe is a huge attraction and that season we started off the campaign we worked our way past uh runovic from the Faroe islands and then viking stavanger of norway uh which led to the next round against Sporting Lisbon. Um, can you tell us, I mean, I guess in a way this might be a bittersweet or a moment that could have been more obvious with COVID restricting things, but obviously we went out to Lisbon to go and play there. So can you talk to us about that experience? Oh yeah, it was, it was amazing. Um, just got in that, it obviously was in the COVID time and there wasn't a, you know, a full stadium um, of Sporting Lisbon fans and maybe a few thousand Aberdeen fans, you know, I don't know how many would have come out, but um but yeah, it would have been um, you know a really special night. I think for the club, probably one of them special European nights. And um, I think we actually did. You know, I think we put up a you know a good display that night. Um, the team was playing quite well at that stage, and Sporting Lisbon ended up. Yeah, I think I don't know if you saw their their season last year, but they they won the league, didn't they? In the end, yeah, they did. Yeah, it was an amazing sort of season. So I think. Yeah, we definitely had a good account of ourselves that night and um it was it was really good to sort of test ourselves against that caliber of player and um and yeah it's it was again it was, it was weird though because like i say that, that that was such a massive game but like like a lot of the games last year because there was no fans they all just kind of felt the same so it didn't feel any different really to any other game like if i'm being honest like it, it was it was great playing in a, you know, a good stadium and stuff but you don't really notice that once the game starts and it was honestly such a weird year like um it definitely had a you know a huge impact like, without the fans and stuff and um i think yeah especially kind of now, now that i'm thinking about it like it, it was it was really you know it was really like, good to play them but i think it should be standing out in my memory even more than it than it really does because it just kind of blended into kind of being like any other game last year yeah, we'll just have like a little recap of the rest of the season. Um, so all in all, from that point, it's a reasonably encouraging start for Aberdeen, you know, performing in the league, scoring goals. Uh, Marley Watkins, Ryan Hedges and Scott Wright especially linking up well to create opportunities. Uh, you've also got yourself on the score sheet again uh, at Hamilton in a 4-2 victory at home. And then I think for a lot of Aberdeen fans, you know, watching from afar uh, due to COVID, obviously, it felt like the delayed Scottish Cup semi-final defeat to Celtic turned the season. Um, an injury to Marley Watkins um, took a real creative link out of the side. You know, there are small runs of form, um, but after the turn of the year, things go from, well, from bad to worse. Um, the Dons embarking on a run from 2nd of January of just one win in 10 games, scoring only four goals in the process. A 1-0 win over Kilmarnock stops the rock for defeat at Celtic and then ultimately a 0-0 draw home to Hamilton. Sadly, it sees the departure from Aberdeen of Derek McInnes and Tony Doherty. Can you, as a player in that dressing room, pinpoint exactly what was going wrong on the pitch and what was the reaction in the dressing room when we found out that Derek and Tony had been relieved of their duties? Um, yeah, I think, well, it's always hard to say exactly what caused it because... I think as a fan, when you're looking on, it's, you know, it's a lot of fans say, oh, the players aren't, they're not wanting it enough. They're, they're, 
then right. as if we're as if we're not trying, we we should be doing better this and that. But I can tell you, every single player when they go out onto the pitch on a Saturday or any day of the week, they're giving a hundred percent every time. They're doing the very best they can, like no no matter what. Like there's no there's nothing. Every player wants to do well for themselves, let alone if they're trying to do well for the manager or the fans or whatever. They want to do well for themselves, and so there's no question of effort or anything like that. Um, for whatever reason, you know, I think you said it like. Marley obviously got injured. Um, Scott was actually injured for the majority of that kind of build up to Christmas as well. And then obviously he left. Um, you know, we we did lose uh, the, the the sort of the way the team was playing and stuff with them kind of players. You kind of get used to sort of knowing where they're going to run, and how they're going to link up. Everyone just kind of starts to bounce off each other. I think that early part of the season things are working well, but then when you lose, you know, a few of your kind of key players, it, it has a big effect on the team. And unfortunately we weren't probably able to then refine that kind of connection, that rhythm. And obviously we struggled to to score goals. And then when you when you're not scoring like that, suddenly people do start to lose confidence, then you do get chances, but in the back of your head you're thinking, oh God, I need to score this one. Like um and it puts even more pressure on, you know, yourself as players and um then it becomes even harder to score and and yeah I think we just kind of got into a negative kind of cycle spiral and at the same way that we as players uh, given our best the management are also doing their very best and doing everything they can what they see as um, the best way to get results and everyone wants to win as um, at the end of the day and so it's 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 obviously a really tough one but unfortunately you know things we weren't able to quite sort it out and um and it and things did kind of just go very flat, probably especially that second half of the season. And um, and and yeah, it's 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 sad, but it is it's football at the end of the day, and everyone's aware that's how things work. And and then yeah, hopefully, let's say obviously things aren't at this moment in time going too good either. Hopefully they can turn it around and, and, and pick up again soon. And just on that, just to follow up on Gav's question, Tommy, what was the reaction in the dressing room like when you guys heard about? Derek and Tony being relieved of their duties. Yeah, I think it was it was it was sad. Like they'd been there so long. Obviously, I, I'm probably quite a new face compared to the majority of the boys that have been there, and a lot of them have known him a lot longer. But um, you know, a lot of the young boys, he sort of brought them through. Um, you know, the likes of Johnny, Andy, known him for years. So it was it was definitely yeah, not as if someone had died, but you know that kind of feeling if you know what I mean everyone was you know it was sad like obviously we weren't happy that things weren't going well on the pitch but but then when it actually happens it's it is quite um you know it's sad and they, they've lost their job they've got families and um it's never nice when somebody loses their job so but at the same time you know life goes on football goes on and we were just you know then hoping to get a new manager in as soon as possible and and just to carry on and hopefully make it a, a a positive end to the season and as I say there was probably some boys that obviously weren't happy weren't playing and they were probably looking forward to a change of manager a, a fresh start and um, and yeah so obviously Paul Sheeran then took interim charge for, for three games and then Stephen Glass was was formally appointed and he took charge for the final six games of the campaign and, and you played in, in all of those fixtures um, that's a couple of questions here actually if that's alright um, so I guess first of all was there a a general feeling in the squad or a, you know, the rumor mill or whatever that Stephen was going to be the guy coming in from quite early on. 
I think so. I, I don't really look too much on all the kind of press and the news kind of stuff. Like mm. I, I try to, I don't know why I've never really been one for that. I kind of just keep myself to myself outside of football, but I know a lot of the other boys are sort of looking at it. I, I did probably hear that them saying that he was going to be the favourite, but I didn't actually know, you know, who he was or anything at that time. So I was just kind of just, just going in, just doing, doing my thing, focusing on, you know, just getting myself ready for the games and being the best I can be. But um, so I wasn't really thinking too much into that. But um, but yeah, I think he was definitely, I think, the favourite or the bookies wise and stuff like that. Yeah. And can you give us just your, your kind of own initial impressions of, of Stephen coming into the role? Um, and did you feel that he was obviously coming in and looking to try and try and do something a bit different, I guess, from what from what um, Derek and Tony have been doing? And I guess the other question you, you alluded to it there's a bit of a, you know, we're, we're having a bit of a struggle at the moment in terms of our form. Do you think you've played in the Scottish league now? Do you feel that the kind of ideas he was looking to, to, to bring in that they can be kind of successfully implemented in, in the Scottish league? I think they can. Yeah. Like as I, said, I, I just think he's from what I saw of him last year, I know it wasn't too long, but I think, I think he's definitely got the right idea in terms of the way he wants to play. I think it's the right way to play. And um, it's, it's hard because I there is there's obviously the the demand in football for results and and everything quickly. But when you try to make a big change like that and play a completely different way, a different style of football, it takes time. And fans need to fans don't see that, but they need to see. It. I think the smart fans will see that. If you go and look at Liverpool, Man City, even under Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, their first season wasn't you know, overly successful for either of them. It took a while for them to implement their ideas. But unfortunately, the reality of it was people demand results, you know, here and now. So it's, and um, and it's tough. And I think there is a fine line. There is a balance as well. You kind of need, to, you, you want to play attractive football, but you, you, like, you, you need to win at the end of the day. It's a results business. And he's probably still learning as a manager as well. Like, even though the way he wants to play, it's, you know, I, I really like it. I think it's a, the right way to play as a player you prefer to play that kind of way and it's more enjoyable sort of when it wins um at the same time you need to find you know, sort of train it into your team to to maybe not not necessarily have a completely different style but when things aren't working find a way to kind of to grind it out and to win which the, the top teams you know if you look at the top teams down in England they do that like sometimes they won't be playing well but they'll still find a way to win so I think fans kind of need to be patient and there's obviously a lot of young boys that are coming through playing now, they're developing, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a, I think Aberdeen is a kind of team in transition at the minute. And I know it's hard because they are such a big club and the fans want the success and everything that they've kind of been used to in previous years. But if, if they can be patient, I think, um, I think, you know, it might take a year or two for, everything to kind of knit together but in the long run I think I think it could be worth it I've just got one really quick follow-up to that as well Tommy if that's right because I, I see a lot of people on social media talking about how they feel that, that that Stephen Glass can't convey his message to the team about how he wants them to play you've been in that dressing room you, you've you've worked with them albeit a short period of time did you feel that he was able to kind of explain what he wanted and, and get those ideas and messages across to to the squad um, I think, yeah, there's, you know, you can speak English and <laughs> they all speak, I think everyone's got ears. So I think he can, you know, he definitely, 
probably can get. I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what they mean by that. Or what do, what do they like? How how do they even have that opinion? Like, was it's one, it's one of these I find a really odd. It's one of these I find a really odd thing for people to say because I'm always like, for me, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not speaking for Gav and for Graham here with this, but. I watch Aberdeen this season and I can see we're trying different things and we're trying to do different things. It's not necessarily working right now, but that's possibly because of execution on the pitch. It doesn't seem to me as though the players are not understanding that they're meant to be doing something different. It's an execution thing. I don't know. It it seems, I think there's an element of Aberdeen supporters out there who, who were very disappointed that Derek and Tony left. Um, Although I think, you know, Gavin's alluded to it before. I I think truth be told, I think Tony and, that we're probably always going to leave in the summer yeah. anyway i think it was probably that was likely to happen and so there's people who i don't know i don't necessarily want to say they're willing the new manager to fail whoever it might have been but they're kind of nitpicking in a lot of things yeah and there's this there's this constant narrative about it's like he can't explain to the players what they're meant to be doing and i'm just like i don't i don't necessarily buy that and that's why i asked the question because you've been in addressing with him no no yeah yeah no, i I think he definitely can explain, but as I say, it's it, these things take time, and it's it's a really there's a lot of young boys sort of coming through. Performances are going to be up and down. Um, the older boys that are used to playing a different way, it can be you know when you've been playing away for ten years, it can be hard to then suddenly, even though you, you know how you want to play, you want to play this way, but instinctively, you know sometimes when you're on the pitch, you kind of do things instinctively, and the instincts might go against what. You know the, the new style of play, so the, that's why I'm saying the whole thing kind of takes time to kind of knit together and gel together. But I think he can definitely, you know, get his message across. Um, but then at the same time, he's a young manager; like he's still learning himself. Like he's he's used to coaching younger players, and when you're coaching a first team, it's very different to coaching um, a reserve team, uh, an under eighteen team, um, and like dealing with the characters and stuff, learning to manage um, man manage and stuff like that. So I think uh, he'll be he'll be learning himself as a manager, but yeah, hopefully he will get the time here at Aberdeen. But I, I definitely think his you know it's it's the modern style of football, the way he he wants to play, and it's the way the game is going, it's the way all the top teams you know down in England you know want to play and, and do play. So um, so yeah, hopefully he can he can get it right, and the fans can see that he can communicate and <laughs> get, get the message across. But yeah. Yeah, that, thank you very much for that. It's really useful to get um, an insight into, you know, sort of not quite current ongoings, but relatively recent ongoings with the club. So maybe just sort of towards or wrap up that that season where ultimately the decision was made that you wouldn't be extending your stay at Aberdeen. Was that a decision made by the manager or was that a mutual decision that um, you arrived at? Um, yeah, well, earlier on, in this, I, I had been offered a contract um, a couple of times sort of earlier sort of during the season but just before he came in I'd kind of my, my mind was sort of made up on getting back down to England like um and I kind of realized now it probably it wasn't that kind of reason because like, even not that I wasn't happy at Aberdeen I was I was very happy in my life but in myself and my career like I kind of I was constantly thinking right for me to get back because basically I, I probably I was starting to realize that during this year that my kind of love for football wasn't what it had been before basically and I think a lot of that is because of injuries and how I was feeling and stuff like this but in my head I was convinced that if I get me down to England things will get good again I'll 
be closer to family. I'll be, um, you know, I'll be hopefully get back in the champ and I'll have a chance of getting back to the Prem. I just kept thinking that that was the only thing in my head. So I, I basically said no, that I, I wasn't going to sign a new contract here at Aberdeen. And then he came in, um, Stephen came in as the new manager. And then from that point on, you know, there was kind of no more discussions, no more talks. Um, I, I kind of had maybe thought they might have come back again and try sort of one more time. But, um, but even if they had, I would have, I, I would have said no anyway, if I'm being honest. Um, not, as I say, not because of anything against Aberdeen or I didn't like the club, but just kind of in my head, you know, as I realise now, I probably was no longer really there in football. But, um, but yeah, so it was kind of, I would say, a kind of mutual really decision in the end to to leave. And, and yeah, I uh, decided to come back down to England, try and get myself back in the champ and... Um, and get back to kind of where I was before. But um, yeah, I very quickly realised when I came down here, <laughs> I had a big change of heart, but yeah. <laughs> so looking back at your time with Aberdeen, um, three quick questions for you. So who were the players in the dressing room you were closest to? Who was the best player you played with? And who was your toughest opponent in Scotland? I, honestly, it's really hard to say who I'm closest to because I, I, I literally did love so many of them up there. Like... Like on the pitch and off the pitch, obviously, obviously I was quite close with Ash, Ash Taylor, Andy playing with them at the back. Um, I don't, I don't want to say everyone. But, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll leave someone out, but like Mikey as well, Mikey Devlin, who me and him sort of bond quite close. He's had a really tough time with injuries as well, and he's probably the only other player that I can, you know, mention that I think can maybe feel how I felt and had a similar kind of run with injuries and. Yeah, I think a really good player as well. And just um, I hope he can get over his his troubles and get back to uh, and get back on the pitch. But um yeah, there's uh, I'm not gonna go in and mention everyone, but you know, Hedgie, Scotty, Curtis last year, Curtis Main, I'm really close with him. Um speak to him a lot still and you know, our family's close as well. So there's there's um yeah, there's loads. There's loads. I'm not gonna go I'm not gonna name anymore, but there's there's loads, yeah. <laughs> And then, sorry, what were the other questions there? So, uh, so the best player you played with? Best at Aberdeen. At Aberdeen, yeah. Oh, that's tough. Um, I would say that is really hard. Over the, over the two spells. Over the two spells. You know what? On it, I'm going to say, but, but I'm not going to say the best, but the player who I think has got the most potential to go on to the highest level, uh, who I played with a, a good bit, I would say is probably Fergie. I think Fergie's really good player uh, the amount of games he's played for his age is, is incredible already like it's insane um, and I think he he had to go down to England and do and do pretty well as well so I'd say Fergie yeah. I think that's a fair shout and lastly yet yeah, the toughest opponent you had in Scotland toughest opponent would probably be uh, I think Ryan Kent make a decision whether to include that later uh, <laughs> <laughs> So obviously, Tommy, like ultimately your season, your final season at Aberdeen is, you know, on paper anyway, um, your best season, I guess, in terms of fitness. And I'm using inverted commas here because you, you mentioned you were kind of really struggling a little bit with it. And obviously consistency of appearances. You end the campaign with 44 appearances across the piece with two goals. So you finish up your time at Aberdeen over two spells, 53 appearances and, and three goals. And it's crew Alexandra who, who come calling and, 
you sign a two-year deal with crew in, in the summer before then announcing just that a couple of weeks later that you'd, you'd reached a decision to decide to to retire from the game at the at the age of 27. You, you know, for a lot of people, um, certainly on the outside, you know, it, it, it looked like a really surprising decision, especially as, again, on the outside, your last spell at Aberdeen seemed to have shown that your body could kind of deal with the rigours of a hectic season of football and a physical league and all that kind of good stuff. What was it in particular that maybe drove your decision to, to retire from the game that you've been involved in? for? You, t- you spoke about it earlier on since you were seven years old. So, um, so yeah, I guess I say yeah, it sort of came down um, to crew in the end. Honestly, I was probably hoping that I could get something in the championship that summer. And there was, you know, a few teams that were kind of, you know, that I'd been watching and were kind of, I was on their lists, but probably not top of their list. And um, as the summer went on, you know, I, it kind of got to a stage where that crew were keen throughout and I kind of spoke to my agent, spoke to other people. Apparently they played like good football sort of down here and were seen as a very good sort of stepping stone team, if you if you like. And I kind of looked at it and thought, right, if I'm going to get back, like when I'm in the championship, I'll be happy. If I'm in the championship again, everything will be good. And so I thought like, this is the place to go. If I have a good year or two here, then I can, this is it, I can get myself back. But then like, while I was there sort of down at Crew. It wasn't even that there was a couple of sort of little triggers that actually triggered the decision, but I just kind of it just kind of hit me that like like day to day like the, the love and the enjoyment and the the thrill had just gone. Like uh, I was going out to training, like all I was thinking about was really my body, my knees, my ankle, stuff like this. I'd I'd, I'd come home from training, I'd like I, I realized that I wasn't being like the person that I wanted to be, like around my family friends stuff like this I, I just I was becoming like a, a shadow basically of the person that I wanted to be and a lot of that was because of football like football was becoming more of um you know a drain and a drain on my life and a negative sort of um influence on my life and a positive one so I, I'd come home like my, my missus want to go for a walk with the kids I'd, I'd kind of be like oh I can't my knees sore I, I need to train tomorrow I've, my, my ankle's there so I can't I've got a game here I'd, I'd be sitting there I'd just be thinking about football thinking about things without being there with them and like just I just felt like it was it was just taking over my life but in a negative way not in a positive way and this just suddenly it just kind of suddenly clicked and just became clear and then I thought I'm going in it's taking over my life so much like this and when I'm there I'm not actually like I thought, I'm not actually enjoying it. I'm going out to training. Like I'm just kind of going, oh, let's just walking through it. Like it, it wasn't that fun anymore. And then even when things were good, so even like at Aberdeen that year, that year when, you know, sort of last year when I played a lot of games, done well, if I'd, I felt like I had a good game, we'd won. I'd kind of get in the car, drive home. And, you know, back when I was younger at Watford, I'd be absolutely buzzing. For the next two, three days, I'd be on a high. But I'd kind of get in and just kind of be like, it just, you know, I've, there was just nothing it was kind of like oh like that, yeah that was all right like you know, I just didn't have that buzz that that big thrill that I used to have and that I saw everybody else would still have and everything just kind of um I just it came to a realization I thought well, why am I still doing this then like what, what's the point if if I'm not really enjoying it when I'm there um definitely it's having a negative impact on my life outside of football now like what's the point and I think I was kind of when I had that year 
out um, with no team. I kind of did make the year before last, sorry, when I was, before I signed for Aberdeen again, I, I did kind of start to make plans for the future and plans for life after football. And I kind of knew what I was going to go into. That made the thought of, the thought of finishing football a lot kind of less scary than I think it is to a lot of other people. And um, and then, yeah, the, the two little triggers in pre-season with crew were kind of, when it was a, it was a, a physical trigger basically I, I twisted my ankle in a um in a in a game someone landed in it and I went to go off the pitch and um the manager basically said no you, like go back on like you run it off and I kind of looked at him and I thought I love this is it's the week before the season starts like why would I do that I'm, I'm just trying to and I'm struggling and I looked at the physio and the physio was kind of uh, and then in the end I just went all right then I went back on tried to run it off limping about the pitch two minutes later I went down and walked off and I just thought you know why am I doing this like yeah I'm letting somebody you know just tell me what to do like go back on the pitch like it's my life it's my body like I've been through so much all these injuries and I'm just like it was just a, a final it was a straw too far and then I sort of went into training that week the ankle was sore I realized I'm gonna have to I'm not gonna be able to train here I'm probably gonna miss two or three weeks and the thought of doing just two or three weeks rehab I just could not do it. And I came home and said to Christina, I, I can't go back in tomorrow. Like, I, I genuinely, I just can't do it. Like, I, it's, I know it sounds silly, but this, the ankle was probably only a small thing in comparison to things I've done before. But it was just like, I just reached my tether with it and I just, I just couldn't do it. And I just thought, what's, what's the point? I'm going to, I want to do something that's going to make me happy. It's going to enjoy my life. And, and I think prof like professional football was, you know, wasn't doing it for me anymore. So, so yeah. Well, I think uh, that's a really interesting insight to, I guess it's like behind the scenes of what it's like to be what would appear to be a glamorous footballer. But the reality is, as you've mentioned throughout this, there's an awful lot that goes on that people don't see or hear about in order to actually be able to get onto the pitch. So I think following on from that, you know, I think it's really quite a, it's quite a brave decision to make the decision when you made it. But what was the reaction like to your announcement amongst ex-teammates that you still speak to? Um, a lot were, I think, very surprised, probably as a lot of the outside sort of world. But the fact that I played so, so many games last year and it appeared that like I've, I've kind of just got over everything and things are starting to get back going good again. A lot of boys were surprised. A lot of them like, are you sure? Like, um, I think this is a mistake, this and that. But you know, in my head, I, I knew it was the right thing. And um, honestly, like, I, I'm not going to mention any names, but there's so many boys that I've spoken to in football that literally have, you know, come out and said to me, oh, I, I think it's incredible, like, so brave. Like, I, I wish I could do the same thing. Like, I want to do the same. Like, people moan about it so much. Like, if you hear in a dressing room the amount of negativity around, like, um, you know, the job like I know fans everyone sees it as like the dream job but and it is I'm not saying it's not because it is it's, it's incredible and I've, I've had some unbelievable moments in football but there's a lot of boys that genuinely probably aren't happy aren't enjoying it and are struggling and um, you know not everyone's on 100 grand a week in the premiership you know the, the reality is the majority of footballers are are on you know decent money but in a career that finishes age 35 and there's a lot of stresses, you know, stresses behind it and about that sort of life after football and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I think a lot, a lot of them were kind of like, maybe worried for me thinking, oh, that 
you know, is it the right thing? But um, but now, you know, everyone's everyone's very supportive and everyone's just, you know, wishing me all the best. And I think a lot of boys are probably looking to see how I get on <laughs> to, to figure out when, when they might you know, think it's time to call it a day, but yeah. And obviously, like, you know, Graham's touched on it. It's, it's a massive decision, you know, to make. Um, in terms of your own, just your own support network around you, you must have had, you know, a lot of real good, you know, huge amount of support around you to allow you to have that freedom to make that decision. Yeah, 100%. My, my dad's always been, you know, massive impact on my life. And, you know, he's, um, so what, what I'm going into now is, it's like financial planning and he's a financial planner himself. And I'm very, very lucky in my career that um, I've, you know, I've had him there since day one and um, I've made very sort of good sort of investment decisions with my money, which have enabled me to, if I was in the situation where I needed the contract, I needed the the paycheck, you know, at the end of the month to put food on the plate for my family, to pay my rent, to, to, to live like everybody else, then, um, you know, I would still be playing football because I, I, w- I would need it. But, you know, thankfully I've, I've um, you know, was, was smart in my money, planned well, and it's given me, and, you know, a, a cushion, if you like now, a comfort blanket to kind of have a, have a moment to just, think you know what do I want to do now and um and plan for that next stage of my life and um so basically yeah I'm, I'm gonna be sort of studying now for the next kind of six months to a year um and and then hopefully become um, fully qualified and then and then start you know try and help people the same way my dad's helped me and there's so many boys in football that you know get get paid you know pretty well from quite a young age but don't probably know exactly what to do with it and I'd love to you know help um sort of all them boys now as well as 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 you know the general public and everyone just you know um help them make the most with um you know the resources they they have available to them so yeah you know Tommy we on Monday we spoke with um Nicky Lowe who's an ex-Aberdeen player I'm not sure if you're familiar with him but he sort of went through a sort of similar experience as yourself in terms of falling out of love with the game and then he ended up playing effectively junior football. And through that, it sort of engaged him back again. It sounds like you've made your decision as far as professional football goes, but is there any temptation there to maybe like take the step down into part-time football? Um, potentially. I'm, I'm not sure because even the thing with part-time football, there's still a lot of, you know, it takes up a lot of your time weekends. There's still training like, a couple of times a week, stuff like that. I'm, I'm not sure yet, to be honest. And possibly in a year's time, I might feel different. I might want to go and play at a high level, sort of semi-pro, whatever. I had a few, you know, opportunities to play. Um, I can't actually play for a full-time team because uh, of the contract I signed crew in terms of terminating for this year. But next year, I could again. But um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, rule anything out because I don't know how I feel and in a year's, you know, a year, two years from now. But I definitely am I'm getting into the five aside, seven aside team. Though. So like a few of my mates play for like a seven aside team. They've got me involved now the last few Thursdays. And honestly, like it's the most fun I've had playing football in, in years. And like it takes me a few days to recover because I'm a dodgy astro. So my knees and ankles are sore for the next few days after, but it doesn't matter anymore. Like I can I can get sore and I can just chill for a few days and then go again. But um, yeah, I'm definitely tr- trying to make a big impact in the the power play scene down at, down at Stratford <laughs> on a Thursday night. And that's that's where it's at for now. But um, but yeah, yeah I'd say I, I know there's been a few boys that have 
probably you know retired professionally and then got back into you know a good standard of semi-pro football whatever and I, I wouldn't rule that out but um but for now yeah I'm I'm, I'm I'm really happy just doing the, the the financial planning stuff and that's that's taken up a lot of my mental energy anyway and then yeah playing football a couple of times a week with friends is 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 really fun so I'm yeah, just enjoying that please do tell us what uh, what ranks worst for a footballer a professional player is it the average five-a-side pitch in London or the pitch at the Tony Macaroni Stadium oh god no there's there's honestly I'm being any serious. There's no difference, <laughs> like which it's it's crazy. Like this is literally like a dodgy, you know, drug deals going on at the side of it. <laughs> Five aside Astro in Stratford, and I, I actually prefer it. I think to be honest, I, I definitely slip less because that one's so slippy. The the Livingston one, especially when we tried to play it last year. Do you remember when the pitch got it? We, we warmed up on it, and it was like frozen. And flooded at the same time, believe it or not. But oh, it, this is the one that got rescheduled, like just before yeah. the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when we did play on it, it wasn't wasn't much better once it did get rearranged. But um, yeah, there's some questionable pitches up in Scotland, to say the least. But there's some very good ones as well. But um, bad bit, but 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 yeah, it's um, it is what it is. You gotta just get on with avenue. Once you're playing the game, you kind of forget about the pitch anyway. Well, I think I speak for the three of us. We're delighted to hear that you've been enjoying, you're enjoying playing football again. You know, there's a, there's merit to just remembering why you started playing as a kid, isn't there? Just because it's fun. So. A hundred percent. Exactly that. Exactly. You've got to, if you're not enjoying anything you do in life, then what is the point of it at the end of the day? I mean, absolutely. So Tommy, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, before we go, we'll ask you one final question. It's the same question we ask all of our guests. And that is, what does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? It's hard to say, you know, to sum it up in a few words, but I would say if if I look back on like my career, um I would say I would say I was I was a Watford player and I was an Aberdeen player. Like Aberdeen is it makes up the you know the majority of my career and as I sort of touched on before, like Aberdeen Football Club has has opened the doors to Scotland to me and my family and I think Scotland is now going to become a you know a, a place that we visit probably probably every year and and yeah it's hard to say what what it means to me exactly but I'll say that I will forever be grateful to Aberdeen as um, you know the people up there and the club for for having me and um, and yeah I'll, I'll never forget my time there so yeah. Tommy Hoban top man thank you for taking the time out to join us on this episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. And I think we don't try to talk on behalf of the support because that would be foolish, but I think I can probably confidently state that for the majority of Aberdeen supporters, it's a real shame that we didn't get a chance to give you a proper send-off from Aberdeen due to COVID and all that kind of stuff. But we absolutely wish you all the very best of luck and wish you and your family a a healthy and a a prosperous future. And um, yeah, take care. No, I really really appreciate it, guys. Yeah, I'd like to say as well to all the fans, like, Thank I I felt like you know everyone was so welcoming and you know I see some of the messages I used to get on Twitter and stuff like that and people messaging and you know they was always overwhelmingly positive and I'm really grateful to for for welcoming me sort of during my time up there and I'll definitely be back up at some point to watch a game so um so yeah and I'm I am a an Aberdeen fan now in yeah, to the the SPL so top man quite right Tommy Holman.
Thanks again. Stand free. Thanks very much. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 14, where we'll be joined by Tom Watt and we'll review our SPFL Premiership fixture against Dundee and take a look ahead to the visit of Hibs and our trip to Mordor in the Premiership. We'll also take our usual look at the women's team and our youth setup before we round things off with the results from our poll of polls to bring you your worst ever Don's Eleven. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was sponsored by Granite Elite Limited. Granite Elite are an Aberdeen-based company delivering highly skilled security services and soft facilities management across the northeast of Scotland. To find out more and the services that Granite Elite can provide to you, please visit www.granite-elite.co.uk.